This is Trav. And we don't have anybody else because those lazy bums didn't come to Gen Con. <laughs> Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. This is our post-Gen Con report on how TriTac Games did at Gen Con. Now, TriTac did not have a booth at Gen Con, so we can't get any kind of feedback about that. We're hoping that the demos that we ran might have driven some sales, but mostly we just wanted to make sure that people always see uh, TriTac Games products being in the event catalog so they know that TriTac Games is still there. Well, yeah, because I often remark that TriTac Games is role-playing's best-kept secret, even though the company's been around for 35-plus years. So right. that presence there is a good thing if only if you know we go there and say, okay, yeah, we're still here. Right. And I personally don't think that being a, a secret when it comes to being in a game company is a good thing. We've been trying over the years to get more visibility on Facebook, and I think we have gotten some. But, and I'm just hoping that every year we get new people who've never heard of us. So I'm hoping, you know, as time goes on, that we keep seeding this back into the gaming community that they hear about us or hopefully even try listening to us on the TriTac Games podcast. Well, what I mean by best kept secret is that TriTech, I mean, we both know that there is a hardcore fan element to the games. People have been playing them for ever since the first editions of Bureau 13 and Fringe, where they come out. And they're still doing it today, even up into the D20 and they've helped play test the Savage Worlds Fringeworthy that we've been exhibiting. So yeah, it's got that hardcore fan base, but yeah, we're trying to boost the signal, as they say, among the Broncos. Sure. Also, I have with me my co-host on the Travcast and also Dementia Radio's newest DJ. Uh, she's pertinent tonight because, well, one, I'm recording from her place. And well, two, you have to be pertinent because of that. Yeah. And also, she is the woman who created the game, one of the two games that I ran at Gen Con this year. My dear friend, Gina Osborne, a.k.a. Perky Goth. All right, well, let's move on to what did we see at Gen Con we want everyone to hear about? Things that wowed you at Gen Con? Oh, gee, it's the fact that the dealer's room was much bigger than last year. You and I noticed. It was at least a third bigger. The way that Indiana Convention Center is set up, they have these large convention halls that abut each other. What they did was they took half of another exhibition hall and let the exhibit the, the main exhibition hall continue on into it where before that uh, last year that thing was partially into the exhibit the main exhibition hall so literally it got bigger by a third 
for those of you who've never been to the exhibition hall at Gen Con, which you're kind of losing out just because of the length and breadth and scope of what all is there, they have aisles, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, and they have the booths all along each aisle. Right. Went to what, 24, 2,500? It went all the way to 3,000 this year. And the, like 2,700 to 3,000 aisles were all, were a good portion of the Magic the Gathering. You can get cards, you can get boxes, you can get sleeves. Buy, sell. And it was right there. You go right out the door, and boom, you're there at the Kaijudo and Magic Expositions. So they had that plan very well where you can sit there, okay, in between a tournament, go buy more sleeves come back in time for your next tournament. That was good planning on their part. And just, yeah, I saw how much bigger that was, and it was just, oh, Lord, more aisles. <laughs> and then they had, like, um, like punch cards, because I, I went with Habibi and, you know, got helped her along, and we went systematically. Okay, the 3,000 aisles is this, 29, 28, 27. And we got most of the card punched out, and it was like a scavenger hunt. You go and you get it punched, and, okay, you go to the next one. I mean, you were there. You saw it was shoulder to shoulder for a lot of the, a lot of these aisles. Yeah, and it took me two and a half hours just to walk up and down all the aisles oh. at a slow walking pace, just to be able to see the stuff, not just walking. I mean, it doesn't take you that long to just walk the length of it, but if you're actually walking up and down and looking at uh, just a, a, a glance at what's in each of the booths and areas, it took me a solid two and a half hours, and that was that was the day after I went up and down with you. Oh, yeah. So I would say I probably put in about five hours in the exhibition hall just trying to see everything. Yeah, and I remember you made the list of all the all the zombie games that were... That I mean, I don't know, you know, uh, what they declared this year to be, but I say from what I was, a from what I saw in there, this was the year of the zombie. Oh yeah, the movies seem to have died down a bit. The, the, there's not that much going on. There's the Walking Dead television series is still going gangbusters. Yeah, I think that's great. As a matter of fact, that drove four games. But there has been a slowly growing base of zombie games which has only been added to so this year i saw over 25 zombie games oh geez i haven't seen anything like that since back in the in the old days of dungeons and dragons where everything was a you know was a medieval fantasy a, a, a clone of dungeons and dragons essentially with maybe some slight changes but it was all still you know there, there i mean there, there might have been some you know traveler and there were a few you know was uh, you know, uh, futuristic type games and stuff, but it was all medieval fantasy. Well, this, you know, I mean, I'm not saying there wasn't other things in the, in the deals room. I'm just saying that there was a lot of zombie stuff in there that I think uh, in many ways overshadowed everything that was, else that was in there, except the Paizo booth, the, uh, the their game, uh, which is Pathfinder. I did my time in that line twice because I went back, got the stuff I wanted, then I said, I'm getting this too. So I went back in there and the line wasn't as long, but no, Paizo, they had it going on. They, as I said, the things they premiered and I have them here, they have the technology guide, people of the stars, Numeria land of fallen stars and the advanced class guide. Now, because they're, they're, they're really pumping up Numeria, which is the, the land of savages and super science due to the crash spaceship. It's because they have an, okay, they, they have, like a series of six modules they call it an adventure path. 
they're starting out the Iron Gods adventure path, which basically they're saying, okay, all these, these fragments of this very large crash starship, things are starting to come out as if it was programmed. You think you have problems with the tech now? You're about to drink from the fire hose. So this adventure path is coming up, so they got to come out with all this secondary stuff, including the setting book for Numeria, how to deal with super science in this fantasy setting, which most of Pathfinder's setting at the most might be PL3 if you go by the D20 parlance, which means Renaissance-level tech. At the most, flintlock firearms. But other than that, yeah, you've got anywhere from PL0 to PL3, and all of a sudden here comes this PL7 starship crashing, and there's all this centuries-old super science all over. Well, so they got to come out with the books for it. And Paizo was just gangbusters. They had all that stuff out there. They have the new Emerald Spire Super Dungeon. We're talking, this is the level of the old Castle Greyhawk or Undermountain-type dungeon. That was there for like $40, that hardcover. So yeah, Paizo had it really, you know, just kicking. Also, something else that they had, tried getting it for one of my gamers, uh, one of our Mazewell gamers, Colleen, a.k.a. Goth Bunny, for those of you familiar with Detroit fandom, the Walking Dead version of the old Spaghetti Western card game bang sold first day and they did not have any more i checked also if you are familiar with upper deck that card company they have a game that's been out for a couple years it's a trading card game of marvel superheroes called legendary they had villains where you played the villains and you were fighting the heroes and they had a version for the aliens as in you know xenomorphs sigourney weaver type you know aliens and so they had the legendary aliens and then also this legendary villains. I have all of the legendary stuff except the aliens. So, I mean, I've got like six boxes of this game. <laughs> they had it all for $200. So it's like, yeah. So, yeah, there was just a lot of stuff that was out and they were premiering a lot of things. And there was one thing I did notice that Habibi and I both noticed as we were walking around. A lot of companies had problems with uh, customs. Some of the booths did not have their product because it was being held up for some reason. You had people trying to scramble to get, you know, to explain, okay, we were supposed to have it. This happened with customs. We don't have it yet. We might get it by Saturday. And yeah, it's kind of a bummer because, you know, Gen Con, you know, this is where people premiere their stuff. If you're on Paizo's site and it says premiering August 2014, it's going to be a Gen Con. So if they have something and it's not there, you know, that kind of makes them look bad, but it's out of their hands because it's due to customs. I noticed that throughout various parts of the dealer's room. At least two booths that come to mind had that problem. But let's see, what else did I see that was there? Um, Steve Jackson Games had the Pathfinder, Munchkin Pathfinder Deluxe. Now they got Munchkin Pathfinder out last year, the Deluxe Bigger box, $5 more. I got that for Colleen because she's, what is it, the self-retired Toledo Queen of Munchkin. In other words, they had to make a card that says Colleen loses. So I got her that. And so there's just a lot of stuff that came out that I saw. And, of course, you saw all the zombie games. And I saw all these other things that premiered. And just, yeah, the dealer's room, I mean... 
you could spend the entire con at the dealer's room. Just if you have a credit card and just want to rub them numbers off. (laughs) And they were all taking them because they all had that little square thing on the end of their phones. Unlike previous years where you had to pay $75 to have any uh, to have power and then another 150 for a phone, everybody was ready to take your credit cards, which I'm sure drove a lot of sales that people hadn't been able to do before. Well, well, the one thing that is a problem with credit cards is that, and I had this myself with the credit card I had, and thankfully my credit card company you know, worked it out and texted me and everything. You have all these different companies that are from places all over the country. Or the world. Well, yeah, and so you're having your credit card, if you're going from booth to booth to booth, hey, you're from, you know, Schenectady, New York, and now you're in Sacramento, California, and now you're in Redmond, Washington for Paizo, and now you're here, and all of a sudden they're going, your credit card company's been going, dude, someone's frauding you, you're bouncing all over the country, and you're like, no, 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 I'm at Gen Con, they're all here, so that's something else that comes up with this square and this instantaneous get your sale. That's an excellent point. I had not thought about that because all your phones are listed as your home location. Yes. So yeah, that's exactly the way it would look. And my credit card company texted me and said, did you authorize this? I'm like, yes, okay, go back and try it again. And this time they, they were like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll only try it. Yeah, it works. Okay, here's your books. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> because, yeah, I kind of use them used gaming shelves there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love used games. It doesn't help the company that produced the game. Yeah. Because it's used, it's already been bought. But I, you know, I myself, you know, I'm willing to try a game if I don't have to, you know, pay a premium for it. And then I might go and buy the real stuff, you know? Well, there's the one booth that, and it's not Troll and Toad, I forget who it was, but one side it's buy three, get one free, and the other side was all 50% off. Right. 50% off, and I got. Uh, two Dragon Mech books from Goodman Games and the Prime Directive D20 Modern and the Klingons D20 Modern from Amarillo Design Bureau. Hmm. And I also got, as as I told you, the Savage Worlds Explorer Edition, uh, the Superhero and Science Fiction Companions, and the sheet of uh, tokens that you can poke out and it has things. Let's see. And that was $10. Let's see. Fatigued, Prone, Perry Minus Two, the various covers, Incapacitated, Wounds, and just little tokens, cardboard tokens that you punch out of a sheet. Because I, I want to get more into the Savage Worlds and more knowledgeable about it because of the fact that I consider myself the OGL junkie of our little copy clutch here. And I might come off as being kind of stodgy as wanting not knowing Savage Worlds. So I figured, get it, start reading it, get up to speed with you, Blix, and John about it. Because mm-hmm. all I had was making that character Duke on the, on our Impossible Characters episode. So that as well, there might be a number rubbed down on my credit card after this con. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's Gen Con. You go in, and as I said, the three things you do the most is walking and spending money. The Psionic Bestiary from Dream Scarred Press. Now, it's a assistant book to Ultimate Psionics, which basically they redid and upgraded the expanded Psionics handbook from Wizards of the Coast for Pathfinder. They redid the classes, they made them better, but in the back of the Ultimate Sonic, you have three monsters. And I kind of jokingly told the guy that, I was like, yeah, I got this PDF, and you had three monsters. And he's like, well, sir, the Sonic Vestiary is right over here, I'll hand it to you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I, I didn't come off as angry, but I was like, 
No, no, I, I just, I'm sure he was perfectly willing to hand that to you. I used Ultimate Psionics in the Maze World campaign, and I'm clicking through it, and it's like a 500-page PDF, which I can only, the book was huge when I saw it on the shelf, but I'm like, I click, 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 okay, get to the monsters. Three. And it's like Beavis and Butthead. What the hell is this? You know, <laughs> so when Sonic Festory came out, I got that. And, of course, Pathfinder had the advanced class guide, which they new classes like Swashbuckler, Arcanist, the Scald, which if you don't know what that is, it's a barbarian bard mixed with, like, Nordic legend. And just that was another big thing for Paizo. So, yeah, there was a lot of cool stuff that are is all over Gina's kitchen table right now. Two tables smushed together in order for us to game at? Well, yeah. Habibi, having gone with me, she was spending most of her time in Magic. She plays it once a year. She won her first tournament. And she's in the DCI standing. So this is like the national Magic, the gathering, the whole, the real thing. And she just got massive amounts of cards, including the, you know, like, oh, drop off ones you don't want and pick up new ones. That's why we didn't get back until 1.30 Saturday morning or Sunday morning. Because we're sitting there and she's, okay, drop these off. Oh, well, there's this and this and this. And just, she got a bunch of boosters and everything and um, a box of like rares and uncommons. So yeah, she made out like a bandit again this year at, at the magic table. But no, she'll, she spends most of her time, other than going out for a smoke break, at that magic table in that big room. So I know where to find her. I mean, and you met her. She's not exactly inconspicuous. <laughs> and so, and just, yeah, she goes in there and and she's not hardcore. She goes to have fun. And, you know, she doesn't tabletop anymore. And I gave up playing Magic 15 years ago. And that's our running shtick. I don't play her game. She don't play mine. And we have that agreement, being best friends. But, yeah, she just, and I'm sort helping her sort out her cards. And I'm finding the old old cards that I used to play with, like slivers and... Oh, God, what was the other one? A lot of old white cards and a lot of red cards and counterspell. And just, it took me back to 15 years ago. And I'm like, oh, I remember this one. Yeah, we sat out there at the at the Capitol Street smoking area and just looking through these cards and sorting them out by color. And I mean, I'm seeing all these new cards like artifacts and planeswalkers. And I'm like, okay, I know just enough of this game to know what she's talking about. But there's a whole bunch of new stuff where it's just, it's zipping by me like bullet time. But the magic game has still evolved over the past, let's see, it's been one out now, almost 15 years, the game, I think. Yeah, about, probably. Yeah, like late 90s. So it's 20, yeah, 15 years this game's been going on, and it's still going strong. I mean, they have these national tournaments every year, and you can go to, like, your local card shop and do tournaments. I know people that have thousands of dollars in magic credit from local card stores here in the Detroit area. So... Yeah, so that that was Habibi's thing. And, of course, I, you know, kind of rub elbows with both game designers that I know, dementia people, uh, the great Luke Ski, Mikey Mason, uh, Mark Gunn, uh, Celtic auto harp player. Um, I see him. And, of course, Rob Balder, who used to do dementia music, but he's also the creator of the webcomic Earthworld. Uh-huh. I've known him now for, oh God, five, six, seven years. And so I talked to him and his now fiance, Linda, they got engaged this weekend. And so, you know, I kind of wear, as I said, I go to Gen Con, I wear two hats. I'm there for Tri-Tech Games, of course, and I consider it a working con, but I'm also there because I'm a dementia radio personality. 
So I know these people, as I said, I know I missed Mikey Mason show because I was too busy running bags out to the car constantly. <laughs> I mean, we'd get more car. Oh, I got to go back out to the car. I just left the car. So I missed Mikey's show, sadly. But yeah, just, oh God, just all two hats. Just, you're just there for Tri-Tech Games. That's good. It's like, I got this whole other this side thing that I do. But yeah, Gen Con, it's a wonderful microcosm. And I'm suffering, and I'm sure you're probably suffering this too, Bruce, a concept known as con drop, where just you're at that buzz of being at a con, you're among, you're among your own kind, and you got to get back to reality, and you just tank. <laughs> yeah, well, I, not so much, because today I, I took off. Tomorrow I get to walk amongst the mundanes, and they're going to be like, well, did you have a good time? I said, yeah, what did you do? And I try to tell them that, and they're like, yeah, okay. That club seal look, yeah. As I said, I'm the alpha geek in my place. They know I go to these cons because I've been going to the local ones here in Detroit for 25 years. So they know, okay, this is the con he goes to Indy. Yeah, fine. I didn't have the con drop as bad as I thought, but that's because I rested yesterday once I got home. So I just went back to work and, you know, told a few of the people there of my adventures and misadventures and whatnot. I might crash hard tonight when I get home and go to sleep because I got to plan my show tomorrow morning. But if our listeners go to any type of con, science fiction, comic book, gaming con, whatever, it's a microcosm. And there's two things you might get at these. Con drop, where you, you tank, and con crud. You have a bunch of people in an enclosed space. Somebody's going to be sick and it's going to spread. There's some jerk out there who's patient zero and gets everybody ill. Thankfully, I don't get con crud, but con drop happens and it's just like, oh, man, I got to go back to the real world after all this weekend of fun on. Jeez, and you just, it's its like a mini funk. Yeah. Yeah, it'll probably hit you tomorrow morning, sadly. I, uh, I call it the weekend drop or the vacation crash. Yeah. You know, same thing. When, when I get home, I need a full day to recover because, you know, you invite that high, you know, oh, there's stuff to do, stuff to do, stuff to do, and then you get home, and you look around like, there's stuff to do. <laughs> oh, I got housework and bills and... <laughs> I want to go back. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> Be rich, be fine, independently wealthy, and just go to cons once a week or every, you know, because there's a con somewhere in the country every week of the year. Um, and uh, and so normally I'm wiped up to the next day, just trying to get back into normal schedule. Yeah. Well, this being a four-day con, I was on vacation last week. So right. it's like I was off from the 9th all the way until yesterday. So from Friday to Monday or Friday to Wednesday morning, I was here, you know, prepping stuff and Habibi was supposed to, she couldn't make it. So I had to meet her in Toledo and then take her down. And so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we're all down there. And just so it's that I'm down there for about a half a week. And it's just, you get wrapped up in the whole Gen Con experience and then come back and Con Drop is hard from Gen Con. I can only imagine what Dragon Con's like. The Con Drop from that, it must be horrible. Gen Con, as I said, I have to take a whole week off so I can get down there. That's why I only can only do the, the second half of it in 2012, because I didn't get that week off. Now I, I plan that, because i got to do my entire vacation schedule at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, there are people that I, I, I would love to have Oz and Gina come down and see Gen Con. And, oh, Oz has been there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was there when it was in Milwaukee. Or what's the running joke as for for a substantial donation to Perky God's PayPal account? <laughs> I take cash donations too for next year. Wow! Plug, 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 plug,
Okay, did, did you happen to snag any neat swag from Gen Con? I did. Nothing that's going to be too uh, amazing because the only two things I purchased while I was there was a copy of 5th edition AD&D Player's Guide, which I haven't had a chance to look at. Okay. Except for 2nd edition. I bought every edition of AD&D that's ever existed as it came out. I was told by the, the people behind the counter that I really didn't need the basic set considering that I was getting the player's edition. So I said, all right, great. And so is that. The second thing was a gift for the per- per- people who were taking care of our dogs while we were gone. Okay. It was Delta Green gun targets. I have a friend of mine who's big into that, but he's also big into airsoft. So I said, hey, I'd love for you to be able to take these down to the range and practice on them, you know, with you know, shooting some uh, 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 sawgoss or anything, or, or all the other weird critters that are, are part of this uh, collection. They had them in sets of 10 of the same kind or one set that had them all. So we got them the one set that had them all. Okay, all right. Now, while I was there, there were some things that I did like, and I didn't buy them primarily because I wasn't willing to commit to running some of them, and also because some of them weren't of a great interest to me. And thirdly was some of them had a pretty amazing price tag on them. Oh, yeah. But the ones I saw that I was very much interested in was, first of all, like I said, was all the zombies. Yeah. Yeah, Twilight Creations, which is at the top of my list, not because they're the greatest, but because these people, you know, they know they're zombies. Uh, They're coming out with a third edition of their zombies with three exclamation points after them. And one of the big things that makes the difference in this third edition is they have a lot more cooperative play. I don't know about you, but I really don't like zombie games, or most games in general, where part of the game is to screw over your opponent. Except for Munchkin. Of course, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then you really wouldn't like Munchkin until you made that amendment, yes. Right, right, exactly. Uh, In the original Zombies with three exclamation points, you're trying to get to the choppa. You're going through a bunch of tiles. And along the way, you pick up these cards, and a lot of the cards say, do this to screw over your, you know, the other person on the table. My son and I started playing it when he was like eight, and he said, but we're going to play this game nice, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm looking at these cards going, oh, am I going to pull this off? So we either just, uh, we, we had to agree either not to play the bad cards or when we pulled them, we had to play them on ourselves because it's just just bad luck kind of thing rather than putting it on somebody else, which is just dirty pool. Now, apparently in the new edition, there it's, it's based more along the lines of cooperative play. So there's less of that, which I highly approve of because it seems to me when you have a small group, you're trying to get away from the zombies you don't need to be screwing each other over. I hate those those zombie movies because it always reeks of the stupid plot. Because don't you all kind of need to work together to, to live, right? So anyway, so they're redoing it. But they have a ton of zombie games. I mean, I'm just amazed. I mean, they've got a, a zombie game uh, based on undead werewolves, a, a, a Little Red Riding Hood card game. They have a lot of standalone games. Plus, you know, the, uh, the, the zo- original Zombies 3 games. Plus other games that have to do with nothing else. There's, I'm just saying, they're, they're the one place I would start if I wanted to look for things like that. But just, just to read down the list, because I just think that you guys should see how many were actually there. Was We had Zombies, you know, Exclamation, Exclamation, Exclamation Point. Pirates versus Ninjas versus Zombies versus Robots. <laughs> 
versus a bunch of other things. The Walking Dead bang game that you already mentioned. Yep. One called Dead Panic. One called Zombie 15, which is a cooperative game where, where you're trying to kill as many zombies as possible within 15 minutes. And then whoever killed the most, they win. But okay. it is a cooperative game. And they played it on a, uh, a board uh, of a small town suburban area. And they just had them moving across it. And they had a soundtrack going. And every time you heard this growl sound, they added more zombies to the board. They got closer and closer to the 15 minutes. The sound just kept getting louder and louder. The growls kept coming closer and closer. So it was, it, it was, the demo was amazing. Uh, the Army of Darkness card game. Yeah. It's going to have some zombies in it. Level 7 Escape, where you're in an installation where, of course, bad things have happened. You're trying to get out. Shadows of Brimstone. I'm not, I think that's a zombie game, but it's also a big demon kind of thing. Okay. Last Night on Earth has been out a number of years. It was very well demoed on Geek and Sundry, Will Wheaton's YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, Z Corpse, Z, uh, Zpocalypse. Uh, one that I thought was interesting, which was Rotted Capes, which is a superhero game, except the superheroes have all become zombies. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. Oh, did you also see at Palladium Books? Uh, now, this has been out for a couple years. It's been out at least since, I would say... 2012 Dead Rain, R E I G N, as in Reign of Terror. No, I did not see that. That's a zombie game. Uh, they've got two or three expansion or supplements for it. Mine and Perky Gott's co host, Sven of the Lemmings, is he runs a lot of Palladium, and I took him to the 2013 open house. I live, as I said, I live nine minutes from Palladium Books headquarters in Westland. And so I took Sven with me to that. And he had looked through the dead rain. And as I said, they got like two or three supplements already. And it's a zombie apocalypse game. We were kind of like, uh, yeah, it's okay. They're just cashing in on the craze. And I'm, I'm surprised you didn't find that on your list. I mean, they were, it's a pretty prevalent game within Palladium books. So, Well, I can tell you is it's a big place. <laughs> I'm sure I missed a few. There was also Zombie Dice, which has been out like a number of years now. I've heard of that. And I mentioned some of these because even though the game might have been out a while, they come out with supplements and, and uh, expansions and stuff for the same game. So there were, there's one called Dead Meat Quarantine America, which uh, I, don't, I, I don't remember very well. Uh, it, it is brand new. It may not even be out. They may have just been advertising their Kickstarter. Yeah. Zombicide, which is a huge new game with... I mean, these people, they must have had at least like a 20-foot-long row with piles of supplements for this game stacked up. You know, the, again, this is like, I'm like, I'd love to play these games, but I don't have $300 to pay for your supplements and your and your figurines. But anyways, you can start get started off with the original Zombicide. They have with Zombies Attack, Dead of Winter, Dark, Darker, Darkest. Hmm. Uh, Dystopia Rising. I think I've heard of that. Zombie Island, which is not the same thing as Dead Island. This is actually a, a board game. Okay? Because I know every time I typed in Zombie Island on Google to try to find more information, it immediately tried to send me the Dead Island. And I said, no, no, it's a board game, not a video game. And again, The Walking Dead, The Best Defense, The Walking Dead card game. Uh, there was one called, I think, Run From Us. Uh, and 
Uh, that one also takes place in a high school where their tagline is, you don't have to run faster than the zombies. Just have to run faster than your buddy. That's right. It's called Zombie Run for Your Lives. That's it. Okay. So that was all the zombies things I saw. But I also saw Cthulhu Wars. If you always wanted to get your hands on some high-quality Cthulhu Mythos figurines, this is the game because it was a $250 board game. Oh. Some of these figurines were six inches tall. Mm, okay. Now, they were unpainted. They were just colors. But, I mean, I could tell that the detail and the craftsmanship on them were really high stuff. So I'm just saying, you know, if you got the money and you want these kind of figurines and you want them kind of in scale with other things, if you want to use them in a regular game, you know, not play the game, but use them in your regular RPG game at the appropriate scale, these are things that kind of fall into the closer thing. They had a spoof on where the wild things are. It was called Where the Deep Ones Are. Okay, yeah, I think I saw something about that. Yeah. It was a book. It was a spoof on Where the Wild Ones Are, that famous kids novel. There was Cthulhu Flux, if you're a big Flux fan. Oh, yeah. There's Cthulhu Flux. And you mentioned Numeria. They had this wall of things they were nominated for, <laughs> for the Annie Awards. Numenera. Numenera, right, I'm sorry. The one I liked the most was the Technology Compendium because it was kind of a mix of steampunk and other things, and it was written from the viewpoint of a professor, an inventor, and so it had a lot of flavor to the writing that I thought was very enjoyable to read. Oh, no, that game has just been going like gangbusters from what I've seen. It is all over drive through RPG. Uh, Mont Cook and Shannon Germain are just cranking out, from what I hear, fantastic product on that. Another game that uh, I saw a number of years ago, and I was like, well, I sure hope they survive. They certainly have, and they've been getting bigger and bigger, and that was Eclipse Phase. Uh, Eclipse Phase is a post-singularity game where, as we talked about in our biotech and whatever, that's where, like, supposedly things change so radically that you, life as a human being doesn't really compare to what it was before. Yeah. And they said was that this was, this was actually a kind of an extinction event for humanity because you know, there's not that many humans left, and there's a lot of other things that really don't qualify as humans anymore. I believe the term is speciation, where you just split off into totally new species. Right. You're all a core human at one time, and you're just like, okay, dog people, cat people, bird people. Okay, yeah. Not too many pure strain humans left. Uh, yeah. They have the Morph Recognition Guide, which... The supplement for their game, of course, to recognize all the different uh, races and such that are in it. But, I mean, it is gorgeous. It, it, it's like looking at an art book, I swear. It is so nice. Just for the artwork alone, I would recommend getting it and giving it to a friend who wasn't into RPGs but was into science fiction and, and fantasy and just the beautifulness of the, the artwork that's in this book. It's really fantastic. There was a board game for Bioshock Infinite, the uh, the video game. Yes, we saw. Yeah, I, I didn't see it demoed. I don't really know how good it is, but it was really nice to look at, uh, and it looked like it might be a lot of fun to play. I also noticed there was a new copy of a board game that I was introduced to by the same guy who got me into Dominion 
my former roommate, Matt Arnold. It's called Pandemic. Mm -hmm. You talked about a cooperative play game. This one, you have to be cooperative play because you get a card and it's one is a firefighter, another is a germ warfare technician, another is a doctor, another might be a biologist. And so all of you have different abilities based on your occupation and you're trying to stop two or three different strains of viruses from reaching around the world. And it looks like they have a new version out and they probably cleaned up the rules and added a few new rules. But I saw that display there. I forget who does Pandemic. I'm blanking on it. I used to play it three, four years ago. But that was out, apparently, new, cleaned up and shiny and everything. They said they were enhancing that a lot. They had big stand-up signs talking about their new additions that had come out for pandemic. So yeah, if you haven't played it before, or you thought maybe the rules were a little bit hard to work with, check it out again. Yeah. One of the, the zombie games I did forget to mention, the zombie survivor board game. Hmm. I think that's the one I checked out. And what they had was the four players were trying to uh, essentially keep their group alive better than the other ones. The board game had squares inside of it, like the inside of a house, and you could put up barriers and other things like that inside. But there was no interaction between the different households, because I asked them, I said, well, at some point, do you like trade? You look like you're right next to each other. Do you just trade? Do you ever get to trade with each other equipment and stuff to try to enhance? Kind of like what you do in some other games where you, somebody has you know, wood, somebody else has something else, and you trade to kind of maximize your situation. They said, no, there wasn't a trading aspect of it, so that was a little disappointing for me. But I, that may not be in the, the Zombie Survivor board game. might have been in another one. But that's something I really like is to be able to have cooperative play between the players in some regard. The last thing I want to mention is nothing to do with zombies per se. They're called Zombie Orpheus Productions. These are the guys and girls and or ladies, whichever, uh, and uh, they're the ones who put out the gamers. Oh yeah, Darkness Rising and the latest one, which is the Hand of Fate. They're the ones that put out Journey Quest, and they have more stuff coming out. These people are a independent film company who've done a lot of web series. Most of them they've uh, made available on YouTube for free. And I just wanted to tell you, if you have not seen their stuff, you should. You really should. These people are, first of all, the nicest people in the world. They love their, their products. They love work, working on movies. They love each other. It's not one of these, you know, I, I need to make some money. Let's get some crud out there and hope somebody buys it. If I wanted to compare it to, I would say these are the people that are would be the equivalent of the people who wrote Galaxy Quest. Okay. All right. Not only are they gamers, but they get it and they know how to show it in such a way that it's gaming, but it's funny and it's real and it's people and it's not geekish at all. It's what it really is. They're making light of it, but they're not making fun of gamers. 
Right. They're basically respecting the people that they're they're showing, but at the same time, they're also showing that we're making fun of ourselves because you know, like anybody would uh, about whatever. If you if you had a movie about people who are fans of of baseball, you, there'd be the fans that were a little bit crazy, but still, nobody'd be making fun of people loving baseball. It's the same with this, but also Journey Quest, which is uh, people on an act, uh, is actually a, a story of. A wizard and a uh, and, and a cleric and a, a an elf and all that stuff and the bards and orcs and all that the the way it would actually be if you thought about it you know I mean all the things that are funny uh, about that sort of thing and they get it they do a really good job I cannot stress highly enough what I've seen from the humble beginnings of the original gamers which some people still think is the funniest thing they've ever seen, all the way up to what they're currently working on, which is just great. And so, you know, please go onto YouTube, go onto the web, Zombie Orpheus Productions. If they've got a Kickstarter, back it, because these guys deserve your money. Okay. They really come through. They, they, they really are somebody that's worth backing. The last thing I wanted to say was I went to a number of seminars on Kickstarter. You know, what is Kickstarter? Why do Kickstarters fail? Uh, how to do it the best way? What kind of impact is Kickstarter going to have on your life? Which, by the way, is a lot. Because essentially when you do a Kickstarter campaign, you just committed the next month of your life to that campaign. And, it, and it's not something that you do in addition to your regular job. It's like you have two jobs if you do have a regular job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most people don't realize that. They think that, oh, yeah, I'll put this page up there. I'll tell you what I want to do. And I'll walk away and check on it maybe once a week. And those ones, by the way, don't get back. I'm just saying they did a really good job of it. They had industry insiders, people who'd been very successful at Kickstarter. Gen Con is a great place to go if you really want to know how to make games and, so, and talk to the people who really do it and really can tell you the, the pitfalls. It's not just a place to go play games. It's a networking location for fandom and also business. So uh, I, I very much enjoyed it. There's a lot of information about Kickstarter that I didn't understand. I, I And we've talked with John about the possibility. He thought about doing a Kickstarter for the uh, Fringeworthy De uh, Savage Worlds edition because then he could raise enough money to, to really focus on getting it done and getting it done rather than all this, you know, the, the months and months that it's dragged on that we weren't expecting because he has to earn a living for himself as a technical writer. But saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to put out a Kickstarter and raise some money, well, that's not necessarily easier than actually writing the game itself. You know, this one um, Kickstarter you've probably heard about had something to do with potato salad. No. Yeah, I guess this guy did a Kickstarter, and it's about potato salad. Either he wanted to be able to make it, or and I'm like, really? It's potato salad. I don't think Canada has access to Kickstarter, so you can get it here in the U.S., and it's called GoFundMe.com. There's at least three different crowdfunding sites. Indiegogo is another one. Indiegogo, that's another. So That was the other one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah Kickstarter is just like Kleenex, Xerox, Band-Aid. It's become that one name that means a crowdfunding resource. But we all know it by Kickstarter because that's the most popular and used one. 
Right. But they all have different rules, which is very important because, for example, Kickstarter, if you don't get your funding goal, you don't get anything. Right. While in some of the other ones, whatever you raise is what you raise. Yeah. Depending upon how much confidence you think you have in getting it done. Yeah, I'll just give you one little tip that they did. This guy is standing up there and he says, you know, the biggest problem that people have in Kickstarters are their stretch goals because they don't seem to understand that every time they add more content through a stretch goal, it means that the actual production date, release date of their product gets pushed further and further back. Yeah. They may not have the resources to get it done, and their clients, the people that are funding them, are going to get madder and madder when they have to keep waiting longer and longer for their product to f actually show up. They would have been a lot happier if you would have said, okay, here's my Kickstarter for this, and then I'll go and have another Kickstarter for a supplement. What they recommend, nobody's doing this, so I'm going to just throw this out here. Here's a funding goal. I need to get X amount of money. If you give me Y amount of money, I'll give you the product for $5 off. Huh. Because what happens is as more people give you money, you're able to publish a larger quantity. And the economies of scale of publishing and printing and things like that is the more you print, the cheaper each item is. Yes. And so if you give me X amount where I'm able to jump to the next level of production, instead of producing 250 units, I can produce 1,000 units. Well, guess what? Now they all cost $5 cheaper to make. And I can give you money back on your pledge. He says, nobody's doing that. And I said, that sounds like a great idea. And he says, yeah, I think so. So there you are. You guys out there who want to do Kickstarters, maybe you should think about that. It is one of your funding goals is to say, you get me to this point in funding, you get the game cheaper. Sounds like a heck of an idea. It sounds like another one of those best-kept secrets, like, yeah. it hasn't occurred to people to do that, yeah. Because everyone gets jazzed up about getting a, a bigger, you know, another item, another class, another, you know, th these new tokens or whatever, and people get themselves into trouble by doing that because they had enough resources and people and time and especially talent as far as people working on to get their base product done. But then all of a sudden they do something that stretches these people out into a point where they may be conflicting with other obligations they've already made because people who are artists and other type people, they're constantly looking for more work and they, ha and they make contracts a year, two years in advance. And you may butt into that because you know, you've kept adding to your Kickstarter and stretching out the necessary completion time. And all of a sudden, uh-oh, I can't get this done because oh, I lost my main artist. Instead of it getting better, the product actually gets worse because I have to bring in second stringers instead of the first guy we really wanted. Yeah. There's a lot of problems with Kickstarter. They've only been around for like five years, folks. I mean, they really still are learning how to do it. Most people who do a Kickstarter, it's their first Kickstarter. Yeah. And they don't know what they're doing. The good thing is, is that there's a number of sites out there that literally will say, hey, sit, here's a spreadsheet. Sit down, fill in the blanks. Is this going to have a board? Is it going to have a book? Is it going to have pieces? And it will actually work out a decent idea of how much it's going to cost you to make this product and how much your 
manufacturer suggested retail should be, which of course is what you should be setting as your Kickstarter levels because you don't want to lose money, right? No, no, no. And also, very, very important, how much is it going to cost to ship this item? Because shipping costs are just ballooning, especially if you ship overseas, as you just talked about, Trav. The international rate doubled about a year and a half ago because the form, the aforementioned former girlfriend would did Etsy, and she, she told me one day, Robert, the international rates literally doubled. It was three fifty to send this package. It is now seven dollars, and I'm like, what precipitated all of this? And it could be a number of things, fuel, whatnot. But yeah, shipping—that's the thing you got to take into account when you do these Kickstarters. When you get this money going to do this, you have to pull your ducks in a row to make sure your expenses are all going to be covered. Yeah, Canada raised their tariffs or something that made it a, a really a, incredibly expensive. I had one guy over in Canada who ordered some stuff from me, like $700 worth of stuff. And I was like, it's great. And they said, now, I need you to ship it to this place in upper New York where I can drive across the border and pick it up because I can't afford to have you ship it to me. It would cost like $100 because... <laughs> I said, seriously? He said, yeah. I said, well, you pay in advance. I'll ship it anywhere you want to. It's, it's crazy stuff. So shipping costs are tremendously important. A little change can add a lot to your shipping costs that you haven't factored in to the price of your items. So when you say, I'm going to add this supplement to it, make sure you add the shipping cost increase that that's going to do as well. But anyways... Go to Gen Con, get this kind of information, or and they possibly had it over at Origins. Richard could tell us better than that. But I'm saying these people are there. They, they're like the biggest people making money off a, off a Kickstarter. But instead of them saying, oh, no, I'm going to keep this as a deep, dark secret, they are more than happy to pass that information along. And you should feel confident about sending a letter to people say hey you know you guys did kickstarter can you give me some tips or can you point me someplace where i can find some useful information about how to do it because they were they, they were throwing this stuff at us in the seminars they were saying please go to these sites please take this spreadsheet please you know do it right because people who fail in doing their games in kickstarter make us all look bad well yeah and it it, it ruins their credibility because well, they couldn't get this Kickstarter done. Well, what, you know, if they can't do that, what makes them think they're going to put out a good product? And I mean, also another thing to ask these people, okay, based on my needs, which crowdsourcing thing do I want? Do I want Kickstarter? Do I want Indiegogo? Or do I want GoFundMe? It all depends on what you're trying to do. That's another thing you can ask them. So yeah, this seminar, these seminars, yeah, people, if they're willing to give you this information, be a sponge and soak it up. Because Kickstarters I've seen in the past, oh God, two and a half years, I've seen so many different games that people have tried to get Kickstart funded. I saw um, my buddy Jonathan Thompson, who was at the Studio 2 booth, and I missed him, sadly, tried to do a Kickstarter for a modern version of Pathfinder. It didn't pan out, sadly. But yeah, I saw him trying to do that. And just ever since then, it's just everybody, and I can say this, everybody and their grandmother is doing Kickstarters to get role-playing things out. Palladium did a Kickstarter a few years ago after their crisis of treachery, and they, because of the fan base for Palladium, boom, they got hit big time and just they got to put their stuff out. That seems to be the way to go. A lot of small companies do Kickstarters, and they have their stretch goals, and 
the, the whole thing has taken off, the whole concept of the Kickstarter for a role-playing company. So I, I could have attended that seminar. It would have been something nice to see. And sadly, the worst failures in Kickstarter happen after they meet their funding goals because of those things I just mentioned. Yeah. Underestimating their costs, underestimating their shipping, underestimating the resources that they need in order to get the product done. And, and again, those are the things that make us make all the game producers look bad. Yeah. Not the ones that fail to get their funding in the first place. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. So anyways, that's that was my Gen Con. Yeah. Did you like the food trucks outside? Oh, oh, yes, yes. They had uh, one for rib tips. Oh, they were delicious. All right. For I didn't get to try the Middle Eastern one, but they had um, shawarma and hummus and baba ganoush. And mm-hmm. uh, let's see, they had a bunch of cupcake ones. They had uh, some baked chicken that Habibi had. She, it wasn't bad. The fries are pretty good. Right. Rather picky eater. So, you know, she had to really pick and choose what there was. Uh, last year, I had the barbecue chicken tacos that they had. Those were good. See, about three or four years ago, you either could eat the food that was right there in, in the convention hall, which was overpriced and yeah. not very good, okay? Or you could go across the street to the hotels and eat the overpriced food there, which was good food. I'm not saying it was bad, but it was like $10 a, a, a plate, yeah. Okay. Or you could walk five blocks, six, five, six blocks down to the nearby mall and go to their food court and get the kind of food you can get at any mall. Yeah. Okay. What happened was that all these people with food trucks started showing up right outside the convention hall. And so now you've got like 20, 30 little uh, establishments there offering all kinds of different foods that weren't being offered at all. I mean, I mean, they're not even competing with them in the sense of I'm offering you the same thing you can get somewhere else. Almost all of them were things that you couldn't get somewhere else. Oh no, they had soul food. They had said they had Middle Eastern. They had three or four cupcake trucks. They had one for dog treats. If you had a service dog, that you could get dog treats. They had a bus cafe. They had pizza. They had uh, some Mexican. They had uh, Cajun. They had three Cajun ones. Yeah, they did. And I'm saying they they didn't have a a very much of of like, you know, Chinese food or Japanese food like you get over at the mall. We're talking about things that you pretty much didn't get. And it was really good food. I mean, uh, Italian food, like meatball sandwiches and other things like that. I mean, just. You know, and it was, I mean, it's its great to see. I, I, and I wish there were like t- twice as many of them because the lines were pretty long outside those trucks because people pretty much said, yeah, this is where the good food is. Yeah, and it, it had like a beer tent on Georgia Street, which is directly across from the Capitol Street entrance. You go down that little plaza because they shut off that street. They shut off an entire block and just filled it full of food trucks. And... Near those food trucks was that that beer tent, and yeah, it was before that Saturday game. So I'm like, no, I want to. I run games under the influence at home when I do occasionally. No, I want to be stone cold sober when I run this game. <laughs> I am on the clock after all. Yeah. And all the downtown clubs were like another two blocks beyond that. So if you were there, you know, Friday night or Saturday night, and you you were, didn't want to do gaming, you wanted to go club hopping. They had all that out there. I mean, you 
There were people standing outside, you know, the bouncers checking people, deciding who got to go in, who didn't get to go in. I mean, everything was there. I mean, it's really a big step up from where it was up in Wisconsin. Much as I loved, you know, Wisconsin and the going to the safe house, I must say that downtown Indy has become a, 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 such an, a huge improvement over it was because Gen Con has been there 10 years now. Yeah. And when it first came there, it was kind of like convention center, food court, that was it. And it has grown a lot. Oh, no, downtown Indy is gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, Habibi and I, that was Friday night, we went to Tiki Bob's, which is about a block from the convention center. Right. It's a party. It was a White Wolf party. I don't know if it was by yeah. White Wolf, but that's what it was called. Yeah. Well, that's the same That's the same street where all those uh, those clubs are that I was telling you about. It was kind of lame. The front, the party out front was better than the one that we went to. And, and I just, we're like, yeah, we're done here. And we passed back through it. And she wanted to start dancing. It's like, I thought we were leaving. So, yeah, there's all sort. And usually the past couple of years, they've also had the almost like a motorcycle show, like all types of like, yeah, like bikes that look like Tron light cycles and Harleys and all these others. And just, they had that the past couple of years. They didn't have it this year. Right. Well, this, this year they had the Colts showing up at the uh, uh, Lucas oil stadium. So they were out, out in force. Yeah. Because, you know, they have multiple conventions occurring at the same time as Gen Con, but it's spread out enough that, you know, you, you have this incredible mix of people. The nightlife in Indy is fantastic. And I'm sure it's even a buzz when Gen Con isn't there. Minus the bohemian vibe, I get a big similarity to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Now, it's very bohemian there, and it's also a college town with U of M. But, yeah, I just sort of get that that click. The nightlife in Indy is kind of like Ann Arbor, Michigan. So it just it is a great place to go out. It, everything was in a couple blocks walk. You can do stuff. You could go to Gen Con and not, you know, just if you wanted to go club hopping after running games, that one street had like six or seven Tiki Bobs. And I forget the one where I saw the bouncers. But, yeah, there's like five or six clubs along that strip there. Some of them were underground. Some of them were up on, uh, you know, up on second levels. I'm just saying it's, it's, there was a lot of stuff there. And that's just one street. Did you ride on any of the pedicabs? No, I did not. Okay, those are bicycle-driven rickshaw yeah. over in, in, in Japan or something. You sit in a, a two-seater thing, and somebody you know rides you wherever you want to go on a bicycle. And those people were there. This was the first year I ever saw that, and they were running people everywhere. You were tired, and you didn't want to walk six blocks. You wanted to go partying. Hey, you know, was I don't think they were very expensive. If you wanted to go really old school, they had the people out there with the horses and the carriages. But these guys with the ped, man, they were they were dangerous. They were darting in and out of traffic. When I was trying to go home, I was like, man, I need to get back to my room and go to sleep because I got a game tomorrow. And these people were like zipping around like crazy. There was all something uh, Saturday night. Okay, as I said, I know. Through his years of doing Dementia Music, Rob Balder, the creator of Earthworld, there was something that Habibi and I saw called the Hippo Party Bus. Basically, it was one of those mini buses done up like a purple hippo. And I'm thinking, okay, this is just a new attraction in Indy. No, Balder hired it. And basically, if you were a Kickstarter funder, 
you got in free. If not, $10. And it had about 20 people. Now, he invited me because I, I know him. And mine and Habibi's friend, Matt Duhan, who is also a card game designer, was going to, you know, float Habibi in. But because of the magic term, we get it. But yeah, you had the hippo party bus that basically you could party on this bus and be driving all around downtown Indianapolis in. And just so, yeah, there's a lot of unique ways to get around downtown Indianapolis besides walking. It just, you got to know what to look for and what you're willing to do. And I mean, the horse-drawn carriage, yeah, nice if you're a couple and you do that and you get to just sit back and kind of romantic and the little pedicab, you called it? Yeah, pedicabs. Those, unique, different. Nightlife in India is just a buzz. And I'm sure it's that way even without Gen Con. It just looks like a really hopping kind of city. It is because one of my players lived five minutes away. Ah, he said that a, a lot of the major corporations have discovered that if they send their people over to Las Vegas for a, uh, for a convention, they end up getting drunk and playing slots when they should be paying attention to the convention. If they send them to Indy, they go to the convention and then they enjoy a nice, reasonable uh, evening. Yeah. There's been a big change of people moving all these conventions out of uh, Las Vegas over to Indy. So they're, er, everything that's happening is making the Indianapolis Tourist Bureau and the Convention Bureau try harder and harder to make your time there in Indy a pleasant one and a fulfilling one. So if you guys didn't go to Gen Con, you're missing out. Not just great games. And, of course, wonderful personalities like Trav and I. <laughs> but you're also missing out great nightlife. You're missing out just so much stuff that's just uh, appearing out of just there. Just because Gen Con is there and these conventions there, these people, are uh, talented people, are coming out of the woodworks. And it's really something that you, know, you probably won't find anywhere else. Mm, no, no. Gen Con is its own microcosm of just all things gaming. Downtown Indianapolis has embraced it fantastically. And when I tell people it's spread out all over downtown India, I tell them, yeah, you may be walking five blocks to an event, but that event is Gen Con sanctioned. It is part of Gen I missed out on Scotty's Brew House. They had a Pathfinder-themed menu. Mm -hmm. Like last year during Steve Wallet's party, there was also the the gamer's menu where I had the bacon meatloaf, the bacon wrap meatloaf along with the king and yellow drink. Right, and I went to the Munchkin Tavern, which was all based on the, the Munchkin game. Yeah, well, they also had at Scotty's Brewhouse, a couple blocks from the convention center. The entire menu was themed after the Pathfinder Galarian setting, where you had, like, Chelish this and Barisian that. I think even something from Numeria. Right. It's all Gen Con themed. It's all part of Con. It's all sanctioned and, you know, the I's and the T's are dotted and crossed and all that. So it is part of the Con. And he, as I said, it's maybe five, six blocks away from the convention center, but it is part of Gen Con. So that, I think, last year was what merited uh, places to start being open 24 hours throughout the Con. Uh, B Coffee, which is a, a brew house across from the convention center on... Capitol Avenue, they were open 24 hours the entire con because they knew that there were going to be people wanting to come in at three in the morning, and get a cup of coffee to go back and do gaming again. So it was a great time. And we're really looking forward to doing Gen Con again. But we're going to have to wait 
a whole year. So until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.